if Sandra Jackson has the effect on you that she had on me when I met her 13 or 14 years ago, your faith is about to be strengthened and deepened. This is a woman you will never forget. When I met Sandra, I was already a Christian, thank goodness, and uh, I had you know, just gotten in the door, and I was obedient in the things that I enjoyed. I enjoy long, quiet times with the Lord, so I was obedient to that, and I enjoy uh, coming to church and listening to Michael, so I was obedient in that, but I really don't enjoy fellowship. When, uh, I have to tell you, when, when I first became a Christian and started learning that fellowship was biblical, uh, I just I thought, oh no, don't throw me into a room full of women. <laughs> and when I go to a big event, especially when there are a lot of women, I feel like a big gawky giraffe that someone put in a room full of little fluffy white kittens. That's how I feel. So, but I, you know, I realized that I needed to do fellowship. So I signed up for a women's retreat at the Cove through Apostles. And I signed up and was going to do my fellowship like it was taking a bad dose of medicine. That's the way I looked at it. And I went, and God in his wisdom gave me Sandra as my first group leader at Apostles. And Sandra led in a way I'd never seen anybody lead, just so gently. And right away, she was very transparent that she didn't have all the answers. She was very transparent that she was just relying on the Lord, and her transparency and her honesty in immediately made us all transparent. And that group, within minutes, loved each other. And we dug into the Word, and we just could not wait till I get to our small group every day. It was just rich. To this day, I remember the intimacy of that. And so um, I've just... I'm so excited that I'm the one that gets to introduce you to her. I have to tell you this. When she was a little girl, Sandra had three wishes on her wish list. She wanted to be a nurse. She wanted to get married when she grew up. And she wanted lots of children. She got all her wishes. And she had five children. Her husband, Don, six. I'm sorry. <laughs> six children. Her husband, Don, is such a godly man. And she has 19 grandchildren, and she was a nurse. So God just richly blessed her. But there was more to her story, and I'm going to let her tell the rest of that. There was more to her story. But again, I am so pleased that I was the one that got to be the first person to introduce you to someone who's going to bless your life. And now you're going to know her forever when you see her here at Apostles. She is one of my personal heroes. She is... Uh, a role model for me in the way she walks out her faith, Sandra Jackson. What she didn't tell you is that I think that was about the first small group I ever led. <laughs> if it wasn't the first, it was one of the first, and I did not know what I was doing. I've got this song thing. So, um, so I, I mean, it was not me. Um, I found this video. When Casey asked me to do this, she said, um, the topic is going to be sovereignty, God's sovereignty. And I realized that 
I think probably all of you in this room know what we mean when we talk about the sovereignty of God, but it's thrown about so, you know, here and there that I found this uh, video and I thought if you could watch this with me and maybe just concentrate on what sovereignty means to you. So, the video. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor, with me in the calm, with me in the storm, sovereign in my greatest joy, sovereign in my deepest cry, with me in the dark, with me at the dawn.
I love the words of that song. When I'm having a down day, that song picks me up. Well, you've heard a little bit about me. When I was a little girl, I loved Jesus because, I, because he was the one who was going to keep me from going to hell. Uh, I was glad to get past that. It wasn't... Um, wait a minute, let me get on my first page. As you'll know, I've never, as you probably have guessed, I've, this is not what I do for a living. <laughs> if I've lost my first page, I'll have to wing it. <laughs> I think I can. Well, I've said it so many times, I think I can remember it. Um, I, grew, uh, I did grow up in Atlanta. I um, grew up in a Baptist church. My husband and I both did. Um, we married 52 years ago, and we had a, uh, the same faith background, which was very helpful. Uh, when I was about nine, the age that in a Baptist church you usually uh, accept Christ as your Savior, I did, I did do this. I accepted Christ, and I went to my minister's office, and that's, that was what you did. You told your Sunday school ta- teacher, and then you went to the minister's office. And he, um, he got down in my face, and he shook his finger. And I thought he was elderly. The older I get, he probably wasn't elderly at all, but he <laughs> really seemed elderly to me at the time. And he got down in my fa- face, leaning over, and he had bad breath, and he shook his finger, and his jowls were going, and he said, if you, don't, if you don't believe in Jesus, you are going to hell. And I said, sign me up. And I really, I really did believe it. But like, like we said, I hadn't, didn't get to the sovereignty part uh, yet. Um, so when I, was, when I was young, I remember in school that our biggest fear was communism. Do you, I, my husband doesn't really remember this the way I do, but I remember being terrified of communism and the Russians. They were going to bomb us. They were going to put a nuclear bomb. And so we had air raid drills. Not, not a lot. I remember them like they were all the time, but just occasionally. And so I was about in the eighth grade by this time, and... Um, and we would line up when the drill air raid signal went off. We would line up outside, and our parents, our mothers, had signed up to be drivers, and so they would come driving up, and we were lined up, and they would put five in a car, and you would go to the pretend. They never really took us; they just drove us around the block. But I thought it was going to be real. I mean, one day we really thought it was going to be real, and I, my biggest fear was being separated from my family. I thought. I don't know what I would do. So I do remember that from childhood. For some reason, my husband doesn't remember it from his childhood. So I don't think I made it up, though. I do know we had air raid drills. So um, anyway, the, um, the next thing um, that I'm going to get to, my, my papers are just all out of order. I think, that means, I think that means God just wants me to tell you what he wants me to tell you. Um, I went to so much trouble to get them in order. <laughs> I will go on to... Um, okay, we had five children. I mean, six children. <laughs> Casey. Six children. 
And by 2001, five of them were married, and we had nine grandchildren, and things were good. Things were going along good. All of the five children, the six, six children, five that were married and the sixth one, had accepted Christ, and they were, um, I mean, life was good. We weren't the perfect family, but from the outside looking in, we were pretty, we were pretty perfect. Um, it was it was good. So um, in May in May two thousand and one, my husband and I went to um, New York with some friends, and Stephanie was our youngest child. We had uh, one girl, then four boys, and then I finally had my youngest child, Stephanie, and she was such a joy. She um, we went to New York, and I found a T-shirt. By this time, she was uh, twenty-four, and um, I found a T-shirt that said, "What a difference a day makes." And boy, was I right! This was in May two thousand and one. In June two thousand and one, we went on a trip, and we went to Spain. My husband and I went to Spain. We traveled a lot with his business. We went with the same people frequently. Spain and the Canary Islands. So I was a little concerned. Stephanie was in, um, she was a, um, she had graduated from college and she was a special ed teacher at Roswell High School. And she was also a coach, a tennis and, um, and basketball coach. She had these little cheerleaders she coached because she, she really wanted to make a difference in their life. And she was gonna take them over to Auburn to a camp. And I was, I was a little bit worried about her driving over there with all those girls. But um, she, we were in, Spain, in Canary Islands by this time, and she had called me, and she got back okay. So I just breathed a big sigh of relief. And then on June 26th, we were in the Canary Islands, and we were getting ready for dinner, and we got a phone call. And the phone call was from our oldest daughter, Michelle. And my husband took the call, and I heard him say, are they sure it was her? My heart was just pounding. And then he put his hand over the phone. This was before cell phones. Put his hand over the phone and said, Stephanie's been killed in a car accident. Now, before I go on with this story, I want to read you something that I wrote for her, if I can find it. Aha. I have written this to Stephanie. You can put the videos so you can see what she looks like. And it's called, I called it Stephanie's Song. It, um, Psalm 118.14 is just one of my favorite verses. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. The day that Stephanie was born, I was so happy. She was exactly the little girl I dreamed of for so long. Her infectious smile grew with her over the years, and oh, how she loved her family. We did all the usual things most families do. She took dancing lessons, swimming lessons, had birthday parties, and spend the night parties. We took her to Sunday school and church, and we dedicated her to the Lord. She grew, and she continued to love her family, and oh, how she loved her friends. When she was a teenager, we had all the usual controversies over boys, spring breaks, and curfews. And, but when she graduated from high school, she wanted to go on the senior cruise. But I said, no, she wanted to go on the senior trip. 
but I convinced her to go on the, the Young Life Senior Sailing Cruise instead, and I was so glad. She went to college and decided to be a special ed teacher. She was in a sorority and had boyfriends, some good, some not so good. I don't want to pretend that she was always perfect, but she worked hard and she made good grades. She continued to treasure both her friends and her family, and her faith was strong. She told me once, Mom, you thought I didn't know what I was doing when I accepted Christ and was baptized, but I did. She got her master's degree and began teaching high school special ed students. She also coached girls basketball, cheerleading, and tennis. She felt like she had something to give these kids, and she did. In May of 2001, oh, I've already told you the story about going to New York and bringing her the sweatshirt. And then on June 26, 2001, she was killed in a car accident. And as she stands before Jesus, what do you think really matters? The freckle on her nose that she hated? Where she went for spring break? What sorority she was in? Or the fact that she was a child of the king? That's, that was something I wrote the, the, on her birthday the year after she was killed. So, by this time, we had switched from our Baptist church and we had come to the Church of the Apostles. I'd heard, I used to listen to Bible studies on the radio, and I'd heard somebody say, Michael Youssef is one of the great preachers in America. So I thought that was a good idea to check it out. So we had been coming here for about a year. We hadn't joined this church yet. We, um, we'd go to Sunday school at the Baptist Church and then hop in the car and hightail it over to the Allstate building for, for the service. Um, while I, then I started uh, taking Bible studies here and um, took one, we'll laugh about the date later, but I met Nancy Swartzmiller, who is sitting right back there in the Bible study, and she became a good friend, and I'll tell you more about her, her later. And then we went to the Christmas Eve service when we moved into this building that they're in now, and Stephanie came with us. Um, I've gotten ahead of myself, and I've already told you about the day that uh, changed my life forever. So I'll go on and tell you that one of the first, after, after, after Don told me what the phone call was about, I went outside. There was a, we were in a hotel that opened to the outside, and I went, and I sat on the steps out there, and I wailed. I wailed and I cried, and it was not pretty. I don't know what anybody else around there thought. They probably thought it was World War III. It was not pretty. But then after I finished that, this thought came to me, and it was, now I know God loves me. Now, that's a strange thought. It's strange to me, but I felt that. I felt it. And I remembered the verse. It's Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. And it said, my son... Do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent this, his rebuke. And I know we'll talk about that, the discipline word, but um, because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And I've read, he, he doesn't mean dip, discipline in the way of punishment, but he more changes your path. I don't think he did that to our family for that reason, but I just knew he loved me. You'll have to just go figure the rest because I can't explain it. James 1, 2-6 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Um, 
we, it took us 24 hours to get home. My husband's sister picked us up at the airport, and were you in the driveway, Jana? This is my daughter-in-law, Jana. When we got home, it was the most poignant scene I've ever seen. It was heartbreaking. All of our kids were in the driveway, and it was heartbreaking to see them there because they love Stephanie, too. One of our sons said, why did this happen to us? And my first thought was, why not us? And then I didn't say this, but I've learned since that if pain is to make us and not break us, we must master the fundamentals. We have to bypass the questions why or what if, because that just leads to despair. There's no answer. We may never know. This was a shock to me because I always thought, on down the road a little ways, I'll know why this all happened. But guess what? We might not know on this earth. We might and we might not. We might see fruits of it, but we might never know. I had to, I had to come to that, that realization. When the worst imaginable tragedy happens, you have two choices. You can turn toward God or you can turn away from Him. It's your choice. He gives it to you. But I would not want to be the one that turned away from Him because then you just spiral down. And I'm so thankful. I don't know what along my path had prepared me for this, but I am so thankful. And in that moment, God met me in that darkest place, and that's when I understood His sovereignty. I think before then, I didn't understand the sovereignty thing. I'd gotten past my little girl illustration that I gave, but I wanted to please Him. I wanted to do something. I wanted to to please Him. So I spent a lot of time trying to do the right things. It wasn't wrong, but that was my, that's what I did. And it wasn't until I met Him in this really dark place that I learned I didn't have to please Him. I just had to spend time with Him. And then the rest took care of itself. When Casey asked me to do this, um, as I've said, this is not what I do, but a wise friend once told me that if God asks you to tell your story, you best do it and not say no. So that, that's why I'm here. And I, you know, I hope you can identify with something. I know everybody here sitting here has got trials. I'm, I don't feel like I have more than anybody else. But um, hopefully you can find something that you can identify with. Um, at that time when I said I knew God loved me, I just felt like, and this is, this is my feeling, so it's not, it's just what I felt like. Um, that I must be important to God because I was given this burden to bear. I don't know why. I remember the extraordinary kindness of people. They were so kind. I remember asking my sister-in-law to get me verses, and I knew what I was looking for. I was looking for that verse in Psalm 139 that tells me the days of our lives are numbered. I had to know it, and it's there. You can read 139. Verse 16, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And this was a great comfort. Okay, my independence went out the door about this time. I no longer was independent. I accepted help from anybody that would give me help. And this is so unlike something I would do. Uh, We got home. We're, We're home now. And we're planning the funeral service. And I, all I knew is I had to call Church of the Apostles. Now remember, this is not my church at the time. Dunwoody Baptist was still my church. 30 years we'd been going there. Our friends were there. But I had to call Apostles, and I had to tell Nancy Schwartzmiller what happened because we had met in that Bible study, and we had connected. 
So um, I called the church, and whoever answered the phone was so nice. I don't even know who it was. But she said, do you want to talk to somebody? I told her I wanted to get in touch with Nancy, but I didn't know her phone number. And she said, do you want to talk to somebody? And I said, yes. (laughs) And so would you believe within 30 minutes, I talked to Brian Maxwell, and within 30 minutes, he was at my front door. I didn't know him. He showed up. So um, now comes Nancy's story. I told her she better be here tonight. I gave her a spoiler alert to, <laughs> just in case. She, you can set me right if I'm wrong. But um, she, she, I won't tell them what you said today. I was thinking that we had met just recently and had this, we met after a Bible study and we'd had this long conversation and she's younger than I am and had two little kids and she found out I was a pediatric nurse and I found out she had been in this church for since it was 79, 75, 79 people. So I was going to teach her about kids and she was going to teach me about the church. And we stayed after Bible study about two or three hours just talking about this. And so I just had this big connection. Well, in my mind, when I called her, I thought this had happened about a month before. She tells me three or four years later that our conversation was in November and that we really didn't know each other very well at all. (laughs) She was wondering why I was calling her. (laughs) I don't know. God put her on my mind, and she has been so good. She um, said she came to to the funeral home. She said she walked in. She said that's not something she does. But she came, and I was so glad to see her. I can't tell you how glad. My other friend, Shirley, that's been a big support sitting back there, too, but I didn't know her at this time. And um, I was just glad to see her, and she said she walked into this room. She didn't know anybody there, and she was thinking, what am I doing here? But I was glad. And then and then, a couple of weeks later, we went to church. We were ba- We were back in church by this time, and she came up to me and she said, how are you doing? And I said, well, we're okay, but it's going to be a tough week because we're, we have to go and clean out Stephanie's apartment. And she said, well, I'll pray for you. And I said, that would be wonderful. So she got home and her husband, Frank, asked her uh, if we were doing okay. And she said, um, she told him what, what, what I had told her. And um, he said, well, what are you doing on Tuesday? <laughs> well, guess what Nancy did for me? She came and helped me because I told her I needed somebody that was close enough to care, but not so close to be so affected like the rest of us were. So the reason I'm adding this to my story is not that it, not only that it's important, but don't ever be afraid to be a friend. If you see somebody that you think might need a friend, I know I've done this where I've not one else that they don't want to see me. I don't know them that well. But just just take a risk and be a friend because that's really important. And she has stuck with me now. It's been 14 years, and she has stuck with me through thick and thin. She's seen me at my very worst, and she still sticks with me. How about that? That is friendship, and that is godly friendship. Um. I want to I want to touch on a couple of other things, so I'm gonna I do want to I don't want to add this because this story puzzles a lot of people. In John nine, was Jesus saw a blind man, a man who had been blind since birth, 
And his disciples wanted to know why. They wanted to know, was it his fault? Was it his parents' fault? Why was he blind? And Jesus said, it happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Jesus, Jesus reacted with compassion but his disciples just wanted to discuss the theology of the event. So I, I just thought that's, that was good. Because a lot of people see you after you've had a tragedy and you almost feel like you've got a big scarlet A on your shirt and they're thinking, well, I don't know what you did to cause this, but I don't want to do what you did, so I'm going to go down the other aisle in the grocery store and want to catch it. And I don't know, that, I felt that a few times, but... Um, That was a comforting verse to me. And then this morning, I think I've already hit on this note. I really did have these in order. All right, I told you that. Um, I'll tell you what I wrote this morning. I think I've already added it, but since God wanted me to say it, I'll make sure. Before our great tragedy, I did Bible studies, I listened to Christian radio, I went to church, but I've come to realize that my purpose was to learn, at that time, was to learn to please God. After Stephanie's tragedy, my purpose was to know God, and I went on a quest to discover His character. I read everything that I could to discover His character, and I learned that God is loving, just, merciful, and kind, and He will not leave you. Um... So I've gone from not wanting to go to heaven, uh, not wanting to go to hell, to wanting to go to heaven to be with Jesus. Through the deep sadness and total, total dependence on God, I really have a deep joy. I feel like I have, I'm sort of able to put my sadness in a backpack on my back. Sometimes I add to it, but it's really kind of comfortable. I'm used to it. And I still carry it. Sometimes it gets heavier, but... Now, now I want to go to heaven to be with Jesus. Now I have part three of my story, and this is Kevin's story. Just a minute. Four-year-old Kevin. Kevin was number four child. He was the uh, one, two, third boy, number four child. And he was my strong-willed child. He was the cutest little blonde-headed, blue-eyed boy, and strong-willed. I could handle the others, but Kevin just never would do anything I asked. Now, he was good. He wasn't, uh, he didn't talk back. He just wouldn't do it. <laughs> if he said, Kevin, it's time to go clean your room, he'd say, okay. And he'd go up there, and a little while later, come back. Did you do it? Mm-hmm. Go up there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I never, I am so thankful that Kevin made good choices in his life because I never could have made him do it. One time when he was four, this is the absolute truth. I got down on my knees and I prayed and I said, God, this one's yours. I said, I'll raise the others, but this one is yours. And he did grow up to be a very godly man. And now now I'm going to bring Jana into my story. My my daughter-in-law, Jana. And Jana made a video. And I'd like to show you her video. My name is Jana Jackson. I'm a girl much like you. Life has been filled with beautiful memories, ups and downs, successes and failures, amazing high points, and devastating low ones. 
But to really understand who I am, I need to introduce you to the boy who changed everything for me. The boy who introduced me to my Heavenly Father. His name is Kevin. We met when we were only 18 years old, standing in the registration lines at Samford University. This funny, sweet-talking, blue-eyed, blonde-haired Georgia boy quickly became my best friend. Then, my boyfriend. We were inseparable. We were married two weeks after graduation. We were happy. It felt like it was just the two of us against the world. Then, the babies came. Four girls within seven years, life was busy. And God was in the center of it all. Kevin was way outnumbered, but he liked it that way. Then, the unthinkable happened. One week after our 20th wedding anniversary, Kevin suffered a massive brain aneurysm. He was in a coma in the ICU for 15 days. On June 27, 2013, God chose to take Kevin home. Our happy family was shattered. Our hearts were shattered. How was I ever going to do this alone? So a little more sadness went in my backpack when that happened. But I will tell you, I have watched Jana. I don't think I can talk about it, Jana. You may have to. She is amazing. She really is. When this happened, now talk about back to friendships. This is when Shirley showed up. Shirley showed up at my door. That's hard to go to somebody's house. It really is. Through all this, though, I've seen Jana grow. I've seen her take care of her kids. I've seen her do things she never thought she could do. She's spoken at a conference. She has, but that's not the, that's a big thing, but that's not the biggest thing. She's just managed beautifully. She, I love her because she paid tribute to my son. She, she honored him. And I guess the one thing I would just love for you to tell him, Jan, I won't put you on the spot, but do your little hand thing and tell them a little bit. I love that. Of course I do. If I can do this, you can do this. Let me tell you something. We are a team now, don't you think? I watched friends step up for, to Jana, and they did for her. Just, I just can't tell you what they did for her. And she, she deserved it too. Just tell me, tell them your hand thing. Now, look, if you can stand up in front of 5,000 people and do this, you can do it for, for us. Oh, like, goodness gracious. Well, I just want to say for a second that this is one of the strongest women. I can talk loud. Can, I, can you hear me? Or do you want the microphone? Okay. All right. Okay. I've got four girls. I know how to talk loud. <laughs> um, this is one of the most amazing women I have ever met, and it has been such a privilege. Um, best decision, well, second best decision, first best decision I've ever made was accepting Christ. And um, fortunate for me, I, I prayed to receive Christ with my 
then boyfriend, her son, future husband, um, which was beautiful. But uh, second best decision I ever made was to say yes to him and marry into this family. This family um, is the strongest family I've ever ever seen, and this woman is the strongest woman I have ever seen. Her faith is um, is something that um, I aspire. I have a secret. It's not me. Well, I know, and I know, and that's true, and that, that's definitely true. All right, the hand thing. Um, i got to think about it. Uh, she had a choice to make. Yes. Um, so the way, the way I, I, when I knew what was going down, Kevin was in the hospital for 15 days, and, and when he had his aneurysm, he went straight into a coma. So there was no talking about things. There was no last words. Um, anything like that and he was in the hospital for 15 days and uh, when I knew where things were going when I understood uh, what my future was going to look like with my four girls I had a I had a, a talk with God and and one of the one of the things I said was okay God if this is what you're asking me to do if this is if this is the road you're asking me to walk um, then I will walk it and I will walk it with faithfulness I will not question I will not be angry with you um, if you can just promise me one thing, if you can promise me that my children, my girls, will run to you and not from you because of this, if you can give me that one little thing, then I will do any crazy thing that you ask, uh, which is a crazy thing to say to our God because he will take you up on it just for the record if you all ever choose to say that. I found myself a few, uh, a little over a year later speaking in front of thousands of women, which I had never done before. So um, anyway, uh, what, uh, one of the things I said when, when I was able, when I spoke was, um, I found myself with a choice. You know, when you're faced with something, whatever your trial is, it may, it may be something um, like a loss, but it may be something, um, just a, a disappointment, a huge disappointment. There are so many, just with this many women in the room, there are so many, we've all experienced um, disappointments where things didn't go the way that we expected them to go either with children or with marriages or with jobs or with family, just so many things we've all experienced. And when you're face to face with a tragedy like that, you have a choice. You have all of your feelings that you have, whether it's anger, fear, frustration, um, devastation. For me, it was great devastation and great despair and fear and all of those things. You know, you have those here. And I could choose to sit here. I could make the decision. You know, I could choose to sit in that sadness and in that fear and in that frustration and, and all of that. But if I chose to sit here, I was going to be stuck here because, um, as you said, there is no suitable earthly answer for why my husband died. You know, he's a good man. Um, there's nothing that anybody could say that was going to make me okay with that. So if I chose to just sit in these feelings, I was going to be stuck right here. Um, no getting out of that um, for me. But I had a choice. I could choose to trust uh, in a promise, in a promise that my God loves me, in a promise that um, even though I couldn't see that he had a plan for me, even though I didn't understand it, I, I certainly didn't understand it, um, and I didn't even like it, but I could choose to trust in that promise, and if I took everything that I was feeling, all of those that pain um, and frustration and fear, and wrapped it in that promise, it didn't make those feelings go away. It's not like a magic trick where I was like, "Okay, I'm okay with this." I wasn't okay with it. I wasn't even I wasn't okay with his decision. But if I chose to wrap that in his promise, it gave me an ally um, in God. 
I had no idea what I was supposed to do next. I, I really I had no idea how I was going to do any of this with four girls. Um, and Kevin was such a hands-on dad. But when I, when I wrapped myself in that promise, I didn't have to have the plan. I could trust in God's plan. And I wasn't alone anymore. I felt so afraid and so alone. But in my mind, I saw it like that. I saw taking this, everything that I felt, and wrapping it right in his promise. And when I did that, I felt like, okay, I got somebody with me on this. I got an ally. He's going to tell me the plan, and I just got to do what he tells me to do. And that is the way I have lived every single day. And it, and it wasn't just a one-time decision that I made. It was, and you know this from your own experiences and trials that you face, you know, you can give it to God, and then we just pull it right back. It was, it was a moment-by-moment, day-by-day, you know, hourly thing of, of just re-giving it back, you know, and just saying, okay, 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 I'm trusting you on this, I'm trusting you on this, and just doing the right next thing, you know, taking the right next, just the next little step, and, um, and that's what's gotten me. That's what I wanted you to tell, and I love that story, and that, that's all I have, but I want to tell you all, I spent a long time putting these papers in order, I typed them, I checked before I came to the church to make sure they were in order. Here's page one. <laughs> what happened? I don't know. <laughs> but that's it. I hope everybody got something from it. God is sovereign and he will be there. <laughs>